Can I just talk about how really good that uh, song Nightmare on My Street by uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince is? It's probably one of the best uses by a song of a movie soundtrack sampling. I mean, for me, it ranks right up there with uh, Busta Rhymes' Give Me Some More. It sampled Bernard Herrmann's score for Psycho. Good stuff. Hey everyone, Mackenzie Lambert here, your host for Mac and the Movies, where we look at everything from art house to grindhouse, mainstream to obscure, the forgotten, and the unforgettable. Sorry for uh, the tardiness of this episode. It's uh, just been a little difficult uh, wanting to record in the midst of uh, 90 degree weather here in Buffalo. Uh, sorry for the faint in the background, but um, it's it's going to have to do for now. Hopefully it's not going to be too interruptive. Uh, we are actually one week removed, or... Yeah, one week removed at this point from the two-year anniversary of this podcast. I want to thank all of you for listening and downloading the show. This program started with one of the biggest horror franchises, the Friday the 13th series, all the way back in July of 2018. For the two-year anniversary, I will be looking at the other big horror franchise of that decade, A Nightmare on Elm Street. For the first half, I'll be looking at the original Nightmare on Elm Street, followed by Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, the documentary Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, and Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors. Before we dig into the movies, let's look at the origins of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Articles printed in the Los Angeles Times during the 1970s covered a series of bizarre deaths. The victims were Southeast Asian in ethnicity, refugees coming to America to escape the wars and genocide occurring in Laos, Cambodia, under Pol Pot, and Vietnam. They were suffering from nightmares and attempted to not fall asleep. Some died in their sleep shortly after. These deaths were cited as Asian Death Syndrome by medical authorities. Ages of the victims were between 19 and 57. The fact that these were multiple incidents, all reported by the Los Angeles Times, but never correlated, shows a lack of due diligence on the newspaper's part. Craven took these stories as inspiration and wrote the screenplay for A Nightmare on Elm Street shortly after finishing Swamp Thing. When the screenplay was finished, Craven pitched the film to the major studios, Disney, Paramount, Universal, all of them passed. Imagine if the film ended up at any of those studios. A Nightmare on Elm Street came out a year before Disney's The Black Cauldron, which was very much a Disney horror film. You also think about some of the sequences in Fantasia, where 
definitely horror related. Paramount was home of Friday the 13th and could have had the two biggest 80s horror franchises under their roof. Universal Studios, the the company that made its money on horror with the likes of Lon Chaney, Boris Karloff, and Bela Lugosi. Eventually, New Line Cinema, in dire straits at the time, agreed to produce the film. Despite issues with backers and funding troubles, A Nightmare on Elm Street was a financial success. While New Line was known for being a distributor for films like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Evil Dead, A Nightmare on Elm Street was their first in-house production and paved the way for other feature films like Mortal Kombat and the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Now, without further ado, let's get into the movies uh, that we came here to talk about. We got movie night! since he saw it. They're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy? There's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. She's the only one who can stop it If she fails I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy No one will survive A Nightmare on Elm Street opens with Tina Gray, a young girl being terrorized by a shadowy figure in a boiler room. The man apparently has claws for fingers. She wakes up to find slashes on her nightgown. Tina's friends, Nancy, Glenn, and Rod, try to console her. They plan to spend the night together to keep Tina company. During the night, Tina is attacked in her dreams by the same shadowy figure. As she struggles in her sleep, Rod is awakened and tries to wake her up. He is knocked to the floor as Tina is slashed and dragged up the wall and to the middle of the ceiling. Nancy and Glenn enter the room, but Tina is dead and Rod is missing. In the aftermath of Tina's death, Nancy, Glenn, and Rod talk about their own nightmares. They come to realize all four of them have very similar nightmares with the same person. A burned man with a hat, a green and red sweater, and claws. Even more suspicious is the attitude of the parents towards their dreams. A Nightmare on Elm Street was made on a low budget of less than $2 million and went on to gross $57 million at the box office, saving New Line Cinema in the process. This would give New Line the reputation of being the house that Freddy built. The 80s were becoming a big era for horror, filled with memorable characters that recall the classic Universal monsters. 
Instead of Frankenstein or the Wolfman, you had Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, and Herbert West. Horror was lacking the trait of character, and now it was back in spades. The character of Freddy went through a change in the pre-production. Originally, he was a child molester. This makes sense given the rape-like nature of Tina's death and Freddy stalking Nancy from underwater in a bathtub. But he was changed to a child murderer due to high-profile incidents of child molestations reported in the media at the time. That plot element would make its way into into the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Freddy was properly built up. He was hidden in shadow, and there was a lot left to the imagination. When he's seen behind the wall, uh, a simple effect uh, pulled off by Spandex, it's legitimately scary. Here in the first film, he's actually played as a serious, threatening character, uh, similar to the original Evil Dead, uh, before both franchises kind of went into a humorous direction. If you notice, Nancy is watching the Evil Dead. Not only was this due to New Line distributing the Evil Dead, but also a continuation of the tit-for-tat between Sam Raimi and Wes Craven. It all started with Raimi having used a torn Hills Have Eyes poster in the Evil Dead as a light jab at Craven. Craven would respond by using Evil Dead in this film. Uh, By the time A Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Wes Craven had become a regular figure in genre cinema, Last House on the Left, The Hills Have Eyes, Deadly Blessing, Swamp Thing, and Hills Have Eyes Part 2 helped make him a name. But it was a nightmare on Elm Street that would make Craven a household name. Not bad for a former professor of English and Humanities. Charles Bernstein provided the music score for the film. His theme does a great job of setting the tone, but also cluing in the audience of an omnipresent danger. I can't help but feel that he was partially inspired by Goblin, since the theme for A Nightmare on Elm Street has the same music box motif as Goblin's theme for Suspiria. Here's a quick side-by-side. Camp became one of the great final girls in horror with her performance as Nancy. She ranks right up there with Ginny from Friday the 13th Part 2 and Laurie Strode from Halloween. Originally, Heather's on-screen debut uh, would be for the Francis Ford Coppola film The Outsiders, but her scenes were deleted. She would return for later entries in the Nightmare series. Johnny Depp uh, would make his feature film debut with A Nightmare on Elm Street, He was cast in the film because Wes's daughter thought he was dreamy. Depp would follow this up with Platoon for Oliver Stone and Crybaby for John Waters. His turn as Glenn might be one of the few times he's played a normal person. 
Robert England was a veteran character actor long before Nightmare on Elm Street, eaten alive for Toby Hooper, the daytime uh, TV parody Soap, Charlie's Angels, Chips, Galaxy of Terror, V. Freddy Krueger put England on a whole new level. Uh, For this film, he was absolutely terrifying. He was in control as he toyed with his victims. In supporting roles, you have the likes of John Saxon, Ronnie Blakely, Amanda Weiss, Lynn Shea of the Insidious series, Charles Fleischer, Roger Rabbit himself, and Joseph Whip. A Nightmare on Elm Street is a requisite viewing when it comes to film, not just horror film. It has atmosphere, tension, a great villain, and an empowering lead. It's a film so many tried to replicate but could never match. Someone is coming back to Elm Street. He is not friendly. He is not patient. Kill for me! And he is not a welcome visitor. No! 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 But he has something terribly special for the new kid on the block. It started to happen again. Dad! I'm in trouble. You've had some scary dreams, okay? How? Daddy can't help you now. There's something inside him. Jesse has been suffering from nightmares after moving into his family's new home on Elm Street. He's dreaming that a killer is driving a school bus. During his time awake, he's in love with Lisa, a classmate. Together, they find the diary of Nancy Thompson, who used to live in the house. The diary details the same figure in her dreams that Jesse sees. After reading the journal, the nightmares become more intense. Freddy wants Jesse to kill for him. Jesse resists, trying to wake up, but he's stuck in a sleepwalking-type state. He ends up at a gay bar where he encounters his gym teacher. After being forced to run laps, Jesse goes into the shower. The teacher is attacked by Freddy and slashed to death. Jesse soon finds the Freddy Claw on his right hand before he wakes up. He's arrested, brought home, much to the concern of his parents. It seems Jesse's fear is giving Freddy more power. A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, is a divisive film, to say the least. Not unlike counterpart entries like Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, and Friday the 13th Part 5, The New Beginning. The film tried a few new things for the franchise and for 80s horror in general. The idea of Freddy wanting someone to kill on his behalf would be revisited for the slasher crossover, Freddy vs. Jason. Jesse Walsh was the first male scream queen, which was ahead of its time. It was a flip on the final girl, and in a genre where female nudity was common, now we have abundance of male partial nudity. His repressed sexuality and struggling to be an open homosexual was a risky move at a time when the AIDS epidemic was occurring. Homophobia was rampant and is still present when you see comments on this film on various websites. 
A big part of the maligned nature of this film was that it wasn't a continuation of the previous movie as most sequels are. Nancy was only present via her diary, no John Saxon, no involvement by Wes Craven. This feels like a spin-off and less of a sequel. Freddy in this film further develops and evolves. He's not just appearing to mutilate himself and kill teens in their sleep. He has the ability to possess someone and is able to enter the awake world. His scene terrorizing the pool party was the best scene in the movie. Uh, Freddy takes on the role of Temptation, uh, a Mephistopheles character. Director Jack Scholder previously worked for New Line Cinema with the home invasion horror Alone in the Dark. Scholder would go on to a long career in directing made-for-TV movies. Writer David Chaskin will be one of the more controversial figures with this production. Uh, we'll discuss that in the next movie reviewed on this episode. Chaskin would only have a few credits to his name. His other film of note would be The Curse, starring Will Wheaton. After Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, lead actor Mark Patton disappeared from acting. He went into interior decorating, but has returned to acting in the past few years. Family Possessions, Amityville, never... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Family Possessions, Amityville, Evil Never Dies, and the short film Hashtag Stop the Nightmare, where he reprised his role as Jesse. As with Chaskin, we'll talk more of Patton in the next movie. Freddy's Revenge marked the feature film debut of Kim Myers, who played Lisa, Jesse's love interest. She had a long career in television, L.A. Law, Key West, Walker, Texas Ranger, The Pretender, and Six Feet Under. Robert Ressler was Ron, a character that started out as antagonizing Jesse, but becomes friends with him. Ressler appeared earlier in 1985 in Weird Science before Freddy's Revenge. He would go on to be a regular on the mid-90s sci-fi show Babylon 5. Robert England returns as Freddy Krueger, but he almost didn't. Producer Robert Shea wanted Freddy to be played by a masked extra. When they realized that the extra didn't have the intricacies England brought to the role, England was brought in for the film. Although one shot of the extra remains in the final film in the infamous shower scene. In supporting roles, you have Clue Gulager from Return to the Living Dead, Hope Lang of the original Death Wish with Charles Bronson, Marshall Bell of Starship Troopers, and Lyman Ward of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Contrary to frequent opinion on the internet, Freddy's Revenge is not as bad as many make it out to be. It's a modest attempt to tell a different story in the world of A Nightmare on Elm Street. The film plays with the tropes and cliches of the horror genre. Give it a rewatch as a spin-off and not a direct sequel. In the midst of the 1980s, no one was scarier than Freddy Krueger. I love Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I was obsessed. Loving Freddy Krueger, loving A Nightmare on Elm Street. But part two came along and it was just a strange movie. For a lot of us, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was our introduction to like... A lot of gay in that movie. It's kind of a siren song for the queer horror community. Mark Patton's a... I mean, he's a scream queen. I wake up in the middle of the first movie that I'm the lead actor in and realize that there's a gay subtext in it. It wasn't subtext, it was right there. This movie is the gayest thing. And we did Xanadu last month. Some of the circumstances around the making of this film created a lot of hurt for him. And people ask you about it, you say, no, Mark was just so gay that he ruined the movie. You know, the mainstream public, they weren't ready for a male scream queen. They couldn't articulate it. 
I think the word is homoerotic. That it wasn't owned as a queer film made a light shine on him that was completely inappropriate. The film that was poised to launch his career ended up destroying it. Mark Patton pretty much disappeared. He was the Greta Garbo of horror. I was not an out gay actor in Hollywood in 1985. I was a gay person and I was living in terror. In the 1980s, to be queer was to be this sort of diseased pariah. I think, in a way, Mark Patton paid the price for that. It was on the page of the script, and I knew we were treading in there. This is not a delusion that I'm having. You filmed in one of the biggest gay bars in Los Angeles. Oh, was that a gay bar? Yeah. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, you can play with it all you want. I wanted to be a movie star. This movie destroyed it. That's what made him go a little crazy. The movie was 30 years ago, and you're still pissed off at Dave Jaskin. You've been lying for 30 years about this. Yeah, I never wrote, you know, he screams like a woman. If you don't think that this is all interconnected, then you need to do your math again. Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, focuses on Mark Patton, the actor who played Jesse in A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. Starting with his childhood in a religious family, uh, when he took the bold step to leave Riverside, Missouri for New York City, he quickly began to make a name for himself. After modeling shoots, he landed his breakthrough role, Joe Qualley, in the Robert Altman production for Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. He worked alongside Cher and Karen Black. He reprised his role as Joe Qualley for the film adaptation. It was his portrayal of Jesse in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, that would set the stage for Patton to abruptly exit filmmaking for decades. The documentary builds up to Patton confronting the screenwriter of Freddy's Revenge, David Chaskin. It's Chaskin that Patton blames for, as the key figure that killed his Hollywood career. You have Chaskin, who threw Patton under the bus in interviews, saying any gay subtext was put in through Patton's performance, almost passing the buck. Then, when being gay became fashionable and cool, Chaskin started taking the credit for it. Scream Queen does a great job of illustrating the hostile environment Freddy's Revenge was released in. It was the Reagan era. Horror movies were seen as a reaction to the Christian conservative movement Reagan represented. There was prominent homophobia, much of which is still around today and is in the dark recesses of the horror fandom. But to single out the horror fandom would be unfair. You'll see that in any fandom. Add to that the AIDS epidemic and a tabloid-fueled witch hunt for gay actors and actresses in light of the death of Rock Hudson, who was outed as both gay and a victim of AIDS. The documentary does show the changes in social attitudes and the greater acceptance of the gay lifestyle. Now, fans are more receptive to Freddy's revenge. Young men and women struggling with their sexual identity have a character like Jesse to relate to. The film has become a popular subject of discussion in film studies classes. Midnight screenings have given the film an underground appreciation in the drag community. The one issue I have with the documentary is that the on-screen conversation between Patton and Chaskin is severely edited. For the whole hour and a half, you're anticipating the confrontation of Chaskin and Patton wanting answers. You don't get a debate or a blowout between the two. You get Patton coming to terms with his role as an advocate, a speaker, and a male scream queen. 
He also realizes that Chaskin was one small part in a bigger problem and how society treated those that didn't conform or align themselves with the mores of the time. Scream Queen and Freddy's Revenge are a solid documentary feature film pairing. Much like with Best Worst Movie and Troll 2, you can see the humanity behind the production of a film with a bad reputation. Patton wanted to right some wrongs and put his say out there after not being able to. This is a documentary worth seeing and appreciating it as the redemption story it is. dreams. He's real, isn't he? He's real. Let go of him, you bastard. A young girl, Kristen Parker, is attacked in her dreams by Freddy Krueger. She wakes up only to find she is still asleep and is ambushed by Freddy. He manages to slash her wrist with a razor. Her mother interprets this as a suicide attempt and has her committed to the Weston Hills Psychiatric Hospital and under the care of Dr. Gordon. When the orderlies try to sedate her, she resists. Only when Nancy Thompson arrives and recites the Freddy rhyme, Kristen calms down. Nancy meets... The other patients of Dr. Gordon, there's Philip, Kincaid, Jennifer, Will, Taryn, and Joey. One night, Freddy attacks Kristen. Somehow, Kristen was able to pull Nancy into her dreams, and both are able to escape Freddy. Later on, Freddy kills both Philip and Jennifer. The others aren't quick to trust Nancy until she tells them they share the same nightmare, Freddy Krueger. Despite being the third entry in the series, many consider this to be the true Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Dream Warriors continues with characters from the previous films, as well as introducing new characters. Plus, you have Wes Craven back as an executive producer, along with returning cast members Heather Lackenkamp, Robert Englund, and John Saxon. So all the elements are in place. The film introduces the pharmaceutical drug Hypnocell, which surprisingly wasn't incorporated again until Freddy vs. Jason. Hypnosil is a drug that prevents REM sleep, 
which is an interesting means to illustrate how desperate Nancy is to avoid Freddy. Without REM sleep, you have a significantly shorter lifespan. REM sleep stimulates the areas of the brain for learning and retaining memories. Not only does she want to avoid Freddy, but she wants to completely forget him, if that's any indication. Interesting enough, before the script was started by Craven and co-writer Bruce Wagner, both John Saxon and Robert England came up with their own scripts. Saxon's was more of a prequel with Freddy being framed for the child murders and wrongfully lynched by the parents. England wrote a script with the main protagonist being the sister of Tina, the original victim of Freddy in the first film. It must be noted that both Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont both contributed to the film as script doctors. Russell was the one who made Freddy the gallows humor personality we know and love. Here is where he has the one-liners and the memorable deaths, Jennifer rammed into the TV, Philip has his tendons pulled out and used as puppet strings. Both would later work together uh, for the Blob remake. Chuck Russell started as a producer before becoming a director and collaborator with Frank Darabont. Russell and Darabont began to work together after Russell saw a spec script uh, Darabont wrote for M.A.S.H., Russell would direct the Blob remake in addition to The Mask with Jim Carrey. Frank Darabont grew into a success of his own, thanks in no small part to his great adaptations of Stephen King's stories, Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile, and The Mist. Kevin Yeager and Mark Showstrom have worked uh, on the effects for this film and for previous uh, Nightmare on Elm Street uh, entries. Uh, sorry I didn't bring them up earlier. Uh, Yeager designed the look of Freddy, he would later be responsible for the animatronic Crypt Keeper for the Tales from the Crypt series. Showstrom would do makeup for Evil Dead 2, Dick Tracy, among other films. Angelo Badalamenti provided the music score, uh, but the film does feature some of Charles Bernstein's work as well. Uh, we previously heard uh, Badalamenti uh, on City of Lost Children. He manages to catch the tone of the film and adds to the lighter nature of it. Heather Lagenkamp returns as Nancy, and you can see her as a weathered hero. She's had her battle with Freddy, and she's all the more willing to teach others the skills she's learned. Robert England is back. He gives so much more personality as Freddy here. Uh, this is the Freddy that becomes the pop culture anti-hero that he is. John Saxon returns for a brief but great extended cameo as Nancy's father. Patricia Arquette as Kristen and Lawrence Fishburne as Max, the orderly, stand out among the supporting cast. Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors, is a highlight of 80s horror. It's rightfully hailed as the best of the series because I thoroughly enjoyed this film. After this, I have expectations that the rest of the series might not be able to meet. Well, we'll see. Uh, this one is a must-watch. And that wraps up this episode of the first half of Nightmare on Elm Street. Next time, I'll be taking a look at Part 4, The Dream Master, Part 5, The Dream Child, uh, Part 6, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, and Wes Craven's New Nightmare. If you enjoyed this program and want to see it grow, consider a one-time donation via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal. I have a subscribe star that you can join and help guide the creative direction of the show, starting at $1.99 a month. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I no longer have YouTube after someone false copyright claimed my episode of Petrifying Bijou for using a public domain film. I moved to BitChute. I'm slowly uploading my previous content as well as new. A link to everything in the description below. I will have Theater of Blood starring Vincent Price up this Friday, July 24th. 
Until next time, this is Mackenzie Lambert for Making the Movies. Take care and stay safe. <laughs> <laughs>